Welcome to the 24th episode in our podcast series about positive intelligence. As you remember, in episode 23, certified positive intelligence coach Dorte Schipperhein and I discussed the application of positive intelligence to the challenge of multi-level marketing and networking. Now, as you know, the ultimate goal of positive intelligence is to regulate the imbalance between the left and the right brain, or to put it simply, turn down the volume of the voices that come from the left brain, your saboteurs, and turn up the volume of the voices, your sages and your wiser self that come from the right brain. Now, of course, this is a, an oversimplification of what's actually going on in the brain, but the left brain, right brain simplification works for basic understanding. Now, today we have an excellent guest, and you will remember her, one who's been our guest several times before, uh, a professional certified coach and one of the original certified positive intelligence coaches, a fellow podcaster, a colleague, and a friend, Debbie McCullough. So welcome again, Debbie, to Podcast PQ. Thank you, Charles. That's really great being back here. So Debbie, in previous podcasts, we went through your background as a journalist and as a coach and so forth, but let's get right down to the nitty gritties of what we're talking about today, about your niche and how you focus your, your coaching. So tell us, tell us about your specific niche to which you apply your knowledge and your coaching techniques. And, and, and Debbie, what motivated you to work with this niche? Well, thanks, Charles. It's quite an interesting journey. So I came into coaching after 19 years of service as a professor. I taught journalism, I taught feature writing, freelance writing, financial writing, but my last course I taught was actually for the UNC Chapel Hill Business School, the Keenan Flagler Business School, and I taught corporate communications for five years to MBAs. So when I left academia after 19 years of teaching, and that also included 35 years or so as a business reporter, I noticed as I got into my training that I had something additional to offer potential prospective clients in this new career of mine. And it was bringing my communications coach uh, training abilities into that space. So I declared communications coaching as my niche because I already felt I had a lot of subject matter expertise in that area. I was comfortable in that area. And I realized through the coaching training at the University of Medicine, where I certified, that I had some more skills than I realized in coaching people how to become a better communicator, even though I was, hadn't formally certified as a coach all along, even as a reporter, I was coaching leaders when I'd show up to interview them to share their ideas with The Economist or The Financial Times or with The Guardian. I was coaching them to tell me how you'd say it to a friend, let go of all that flowery language, just tell me how it is. Or can you recast that please in a way that a young child might get it? Or, and again, in my, in my teaching practice as a professor, yes, I was teaching. Yes, I was pouring things in. But you know, too, as a skills and career coach, Charles, you can't, you can't just pour it in if you're wanting to impart your knowledge. You must uplift. You must support. And you, I noticed, too, as my career progressed in corporate communications professor work, I noticed that no matter how bright, no matter how gifted, no matter how established the communicator Unless 
they understood what was behind their discomfort, they could only grow so much. And that's why I declared communications coaching as my niche. Well, I can tell you, you certainly picked a good niche because as we've talked about before, you know, and as the work that I've done before in writing books about skills, the communication skill is the number one skill that you need for success. Because as you said, no matter how smart you are or how many ideas you have, if you can't get the ideas out of your head and into somebody else's head or get yeah. the ideas out of their heads and into your head, mm-hmm. it doesn't make any difference how smart you are. So you really, really picked a fantastic niche. Well, and the right. other point, the other point was, I think, you know, I often, you know, through through coaching and through training as a coach, I remember a lot of people around me feeling confused. And I think one thing that made it clearer to me was a, a dear friend and colleague, Carmen um, from Spain, a dear coaching friend who I met at Madison, suggesting it to me, but also communication is something I'm really passionate about, Charlie. I yeah. love clear and compelling communications. It excites me. I, I want... I'm on my journey too. I want to get better and better. This is just something that I feel genuinely passionate about. So I think that made it easier for me to declare that as my niche. Well, you certainly are passionate about it. Now tell me, tell me, Debbie, that uh, now that you've been introduced to and become certified in positive intelligence, how do you integrate positive intelligence into your coaching practice? Yeah, it's a really good idea. In all honesty and transparency, I'm learning it on the fly. Because how do we integrate mental fitness into our coaching practice? There are no rules. There is no right or wrong way. I think the main way I'm integrating mental fitness and specifically positive intelligence's mental fitness operating system is having certified, you and I know, there's these processes that we can bring in. So of course, on the first discovery I offer my coachee the the saboteur assessment. I bring up in my discovery, this is something else I'm certified in. I personally feel I cannot find a better tool than mental fitness to help you manage the inevitable fears that come up for us as public speakers or as writers. 77% of Americans fear public speaking more than shark attack or death. Oh, I didn't know that. It's a startling data point, right? And... If we know and can assume that if you are struggling as a communicator, if we can assume that your discomfort is fear and or anxiety based, then what better tool than mental fitness? So I offer the assessment up front, I assign the book. And then as we coach and we coach and train together, Anytime they come and, and and I do a deep dive on the saboteurs so that they understand who these fellas and fellaces are and how they show up for us. But once we get through some overarching training on the operating system and I teach them about PQ reps and the power of grounding before you go into a presentation, all of these things. Once I've done that, I ask them as they address their challenge in our coaching session, what are the fears? What are all the fears coming up for you with this presentation or with writing this message? Wow. You know, well. I could go on, but stop me there and then ask well, me some I don't want to stop you. I, I love what you're, where you're going. And you talk about fears and you talk about, oh, three quarters or so of people are afraid of public speaking. So, mm-hmm. you know, what saboteurs 
are mm -hmm. speaking to them. What When they get up in front of a group or they're asked to stand up and say something, what are these saboteurs saying to them and what saboteurs are saying these things to them? Yeah, I'm definitely seeing some consistent threads from my practice. And just to clarify, from our first podcast, I was still on my journey of building my practice. <clears throat> I've since joined Better Up. They recruited me, the online coaching platform based in San Francisco, and they headhunted and recruited me to become a communication specialist coach. <clears throat> so now I've got about 80 or so clients and I meet about half of them weekly for 45 minute sessions. From this vantage point, and I consider it a frontline vantage point. My clients are CEOs of giant Fortune 500 companies all the way down to young emerging managers that leadership have tapped as the next at leader. The recurring saboteurs are the stickler. The stickler, explain that. Okay, so the stickler, getting my trusty uh, dog-eared book out, the stickler is a want for organization and order taken too far. Do I have that right? Let me just pull it up. Well, yeah, it's the one that says you don't have enough information to give your speech. Yeah, you don't know enough. Here we go. Perfectionism yeah. and a need for order and organization to taken too far. Now that's my dominant saboteur. That's my head on show. When knowing that our saboteurs never show up solo, they're always tag teamed with at least the judge. Oh, of course. The judge can be the all-consuming one who often assumes for a public speaker, and it's not just speaking, by the way, it's even writing messages can instill panic and fear in communicators. The judge will misassume the situation, the communicator, and their audience. It will misassume so much. The judge gets very rowdy in these moments, telling all kinds of lies. Oh, you're going to mess this up. You're going to fall flat on your face. You Everyone's going to laugh at you. You're going to lose your career. This is it. Get ready. The stickler and the need for perfectionism becomes very disruptive for a communicator because you have this very one rigid view of what success might look like. So that's one thing. And you also can overly plan. The perfectionism can really trip us up because it's lies are, it's only, you know, there is no good is good enough. It, it's got to be 100% perfect. And the stickler tends to create a lot of angst and worry and um, I would almost say fear fatigue in the communicator because it, it's so convincing with its lie that perfectionism looks like X that the poor communicator is just toiling away for hours where they could be grounding or resting or taking care of other things in their life. They spend so many hours overly preparing by the time they finally communicate, they're exhausted Oh, yes. And let me ask you a question about that over-preparing thing. You know, yeah. some people think they have to give a speech it may be 10 minutes long and yeah. they may print it up yeah. and then they'll have it in front of them yeah. and then they'll read it. And, you know, in my, my view, and I want your views on this, I always thought that that was a bad idea because when you are just reading a speech, you're not thinking. Yeah. You're reading. What, tell me about your reaction to that. Am I wrong? No, you're right. Because one thing I learned from teaching that corporate communications course and observing very intently the presentations of different MBA students and holding them accountable to a pretty strict rubric was anytime you read, you're reading, you become monotone and flat. Yes. Reading removes the ability to ad lib, 
to apply passion and, and feeling behind your words. And as long as we're reading, we're also tied to the script and we're losing that connection with our audience. Even if you're digitally presenting, you still want to look directly at that webcam because that webcam equals your audience. So if you're reading versus looking at your audience, where's that connection? Yeah. So ask... that. But can I show, tell you one more? Yeah, some other yes, please. Story? So this, I would say the big ones, the stickler, the judge, hyperachiever becomes very naughty in these moments because the hyperachiever, this want, what's our description for the hyperachiever? This want for, um, you know, knocking it out of the park and the constant performance, the focus on constant performance and achievement for self-respect and self-validation. Again, a very problematic saboteur because when this, this quality in us is not a saboteur and it's just a sage-driven response, we just want to do well. We want to achieve for our audience. When we take it to a saboteur extreme, this, this quest for constant performance puts us on this hamster wheel of thinking <laughs> that we have to overachieve for it to succeed when actually being grounded and offering something heartfelt to your audience makes us far more memorable as a communicator and facilitating with our audience, connecting, having an interaction with our audience versus pouring in. That is what builds those connections. So I would say the judge, the stickler, the hyperachiever. And then the other one is the avoider. The avoider, oh, of course. The avoider, because the avoider wants to avoid all that and not get involved. And so they'll, the communicator will procrastinate, not prepare. But one of the big things that will derail me and my communications is if I'm not prepared, I will become very anxious and need propranolol or something to get me off the ledge. Yeah, Once yeah. I'm prepared and I at least have that first draft of my slides, then... I'm totally chill, I'm fine. But until I'm prepared, I am very anxious as well. And then the final one is a hypervigilant, this intense anxiety about all the dangers and all that could go wrong. The hypervigilant, the hypervigilant, yeah, right? The hypervigilant can be very compelling again. Yeah, with, something's going to go wrong. Yeah, everything's going to go wrong. I'm going to fall back. And the fears I hear when I ask my coaches, you know, what's the fear? What's the fear here? It's often really big, that hypervigilant fear is very, very real for them and spooks them to a point where they're almost immobilized. It's everything from fear of falling back, fear of losing everything, fear of disappointing their team by not representing them effectively or efficiently, or fear of um, disappointing a manager who promoted them. Yeah. Fear of financial ruin. I mean, these are really big fears and what I love about my vantage point, Charlie, is I get to, I don't feel I can help someone communicate more effectively until I understand their fears. And that's a very intimate experience between a coach and a coachee. And it helps me build that trust and rapport required. And I, I just love that. I love the questions that mental fitness has taught me to ask. Yes. And it sounds to me like as a coach with many people, you're doing a lot of repair work for people who are afraid to, to speak out. But as your experience as a professor and an educator, let's get into education for a second. You know, I've always said that uh, for young people who are in high school and so forth, they ought to participate in activities that require them to speak, like speech, debate, things like that. And then at the college level, and I'll give you an example of business schools. Suppose there were two business schools, one business school 
would be one where you go and hear lectures and you take notes and then you take an exam. And the other business school is where you sit down with, in a room full of people, most of whom are smarter than you are, and you have a case study and you have to discuss that case out loud. Now, in my view, the case study method is extraordinarily powerful, not so much from what you learn, whether it be marketing or finance or whatever, but you have to articulate your ideas. You have to learn how to speak. Comment on that. Tell me what your views are, because you've got more experience in that than well, I do. Well, no, I think that's absolutely true. I think any, it's interesting. One of my favorite interviews I did as a reporter was with a leader, a woman leader at um, I, I won't mention her employer nor her name for confidentiality, but she was a rising, uh, um, the first woman of color to be working in her particular role at one of the world's biggest banks. And when I asked her how she built her communication skills, she said it was at church. Mm -hmm. Her parents were very um, devout Christians and she took she and her brother to church every Sunday as she grew up. And she had to stand in front of the church per her father's request, frequently, often speaking to hundreds and hundreds of people at a time. And by the time she became a teen and left home to pursue her studies, she was a very astute public speaker. So I would say to your question, any opportunity to speak and organize your thoughts in a, in a coherent, compelling way in front of an audience can only build the muscle. It doesn't matter what it is. It could be speaking up in a in a parent-teacher meeting. It could be speaking up in front of a soccer team. It could be speaking to your work group. It doesn't really matter, but just practice the muscle. Get used to eyes on you. It's a learned skill. It's a learned skill. It's a muscle. And here's a short story to illustrate. I had chronic public speaking fear. I didn't know it until I stood in front of my first class as a professor after my graduating from Berkeley with my master's degree in journalism. And after working as a reporter for a few years, I broke into teaching and I was kind of happy. That was kind of the loose goal all along. But even though it was a small group of really bright young writers at Chatham University in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, even though it was just 10 of them, I completely lost it. I could feel my, my heart pounding. I felt I was holding my syllabus and it was shaking. I was trembling all over. I almost passed out. And I was so embarrassed, I was having this all full-on physical response to imposter syndrome, nothing short of. Yeah. And having even 10 eye, sets of eyes on me was just enough to trigger me. By the time I ended that course, I had overcome my public speaking anxiety again. And then five years later at Kenan Flagler, I taught on site at the journalism school one semester two different classes back to back, each of 30 or so news writing students. Again, that paralyzing feeling. Oh my gosh, all these eyes on me. Who am I to be teaching this class? I'm just a <laughs> farm girl from New Zealand. How did I get here? How did I get this job? And it was just those first couple. And then once I realized that none of my fears came true, I was able to, now I'm a mental fitness coach. I know what that did for me. By doing, I was able to call the bluff on all of my judges' lies yep. because none of them came true. You only can call the bluff on the lies of your judge if you go forth and conquer and proceed nonetheless, and then the judges' lies do not come true. 
The students didn't disrespect me, they respected me. The students didn't want me, they adored me and invited me out to lunch. The, the students didn't not learn something from me, they learned so much from me, they got published in beautiful places and their careers took off. Wow. So, you, so I think that's what doing it does for us. So there's a, it's a learned skill. It's a learned and, skill. And, and parents should probably encourage their kids to get involved in anything that will require anything. them to do some public speaking, whether it's in church, in debate, yep. in school, yep. and so forth. Now, let me let me throw a little thing at you, a little a little formula that I used. It's very simple uh, that I used that taught me how to handle a situation where, for example, I might have been called on to say a few words. Mm-hmm. at a dinner party or something. Now those four words, say a few words, are very important because the first letter for each one stands for something and it's easy to remember. So say starts with an S. That means state your idea. Yeah. I'm going to talk about blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. A, the second word means accentuate, accentuate your idea. Well, my idea is important because blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. And then the third one, F, for instance, your idea. Give two or three examples. And I always like to use the, the rule of three. You can look at your audience and say, now there are three things that you've got to know about this. Mm-hmm. One, two, now there may be three or four, and there only may be two, but they're gonna, the audience is going to start counting the reasons and not paying attention to what you're saying, probably. But your, for instance, your idea, give a few examples. And the last one is wind up with your idea. So it's, this is why my idea was important. So state your idea, accentuate your idea, for instance, your idea, wind up with your idea, and that's it. And I learned that oh, many, many years ago, and it was probably, I remember it because it's so easy to remember. What's your reaction to that? I love it because it's a formula, it's familiar, it's simple, there's just four steps to it, and it's a nice, neat arc. So in my article on that I published to LinkedIn from Medium today, I'm using a similar technique. Yeah. I, my post this week was on um, write well, speak well. So writing techniques that we can apply to our next meetings. And the idea came to me because many, many leaders, and it, surprisingly, the higher up, the bigger this problem becomes from, my, from what I'm seeing, is they get into these situations where someone's asking them for a few words or so Charlie, what do you think about all that? Whatever it is. And the poor leader is sitting there starting their idea and then they start to notice they're fading out and they can't either remember what it was they were trying to say in the first place or they just feel they lack the substance to add any more and then they feel mortified that this idea is incomplete and just hanging. So one of my offerings in this week's article was just that. I used this idea of just using the, the paragraph format, topic sentence, which is your... State your idea. State your idea. So topic sentence, um, supporting ideas, that's... Yeah, accentuated. For instance, for instance. And then I would end it with um, the so what. Oh, here's yeah. the significance and this feels important because what I mean and what I want you to take away from all this is blah whatever but it's this idea of just starting and ending the loop complete the bow tie it up keep it simple stupid now we're yeah now we are in total resonance on the importance of the communication skill the fact that the communication skill is a learned skill and the earlier you start the better 
But if your communication skills are weak, there are ways to strengthen them. And that's one of the things that you do. And with regard to positive intelligence, you know, what are some of the results that you're getting, you know, from applying positive intelligence to your communications coaching practice? Well, it's kind of profound, to be honest. And I get a little emotional when I think about it because it's just powerful stuff. Getting emotional is fine, Debbie. Bottom line, it's just powerful. What I've noticed works really, really well is, first of all, just that big epiphany of what's behind the discomfort. And even that can be a game changer. Realizing that all along, although they're rising or they're a new rising director, all along the anxiety that they've been feeling and everything, not just their communications, everything ties to this fear of falling back. That alone can be very transformational. So that's been really great to see. And and the gratitude I see from my coaches and me helping them connect that feeling to how they were showing up in these meetings and these messages they were crafting and how they felt with their new boss and the anxiety that they felt and realizing that it tied to something as simple but sad and powerful at the same time of fear of falling back into poverty. They'd come from nothing like me. They'd grown up pretty frugally. And then here they were in a high earning role and it was inducing a lot of fear that they were going to fall back. So that's really great. I would say applying the sage perspective and then applying the five sage powers has been also equally as transformational. And what I love about seeing those results is my coaches can plug this in right away. Within the coaching, we explore what is the gift, the opportunity, or what can the situation, this scary, spooky message you're you're worrying about, what is it here to teach you? What's the gift or what's the opportunity or what's it here to teach you? So that can be very empowering too and creates a very necessary vital shift to tap into the sage. So you're no longer feeling as fearful and now you're feeling actually excited with this learning in front of you or this opportunity to showcase yourself in new ways or to overcome your public speaking fear, whatever it is, there is a gift there. I find the empathize power of the sage powers, the explorer power is very transformational, helping my clients understand what's really going on here. What's really going on? You're, you've got a triple degrees in the world's best universities. What's really going on? Yeah, That can be really powerful as well. And that shift brings vital perspective and helps them feel more at ease. The empathize power I found is very grounding. So the big results there is when my clients start to have empathy for themselves first, but then empathy for their audience, they're better able to manage those moments where they get really spooked when they're actually doing the delivery of their presentation to the board or to investors, whatever, by teaching them and sharing the empathize power, not just for them, but their audience, and to no longer assume that their audience is out to get them, to realize, no, this audience is coming because they want something from me, or I have knowledge they lack. They want me to do well. They're rooting for me. They're not out to get me. And also that empathize power becomes transformational, Charlie, because oftentimes when we present and we have fear as we present, we are looking with our judge's eyes for the 
discerning for the the cross or frustrated looking face so that can confirm for us that we're dreadful at what we're doing and we've lost our audience whereas the empathize power when my coaches absorb that they no longer misassume any expression in the audience they are just more at peace with whatever's there and they no longer think it's about them so that can be quite extraordinary i would say that the other big impact is bringing in that navigate power and asking the coachee to think you know looking back at your life as an older version of yourself today what's really important what what might look really important and that again can help a very powerful bring a very powerful perspective shift that brings a huge amount of calm peace and harmony even to something that was once giving them an insomnia so oh, yeah you know you know debbie it seems to me like when you you do your coaching you impart to them a great deal of intellectual inf- information but even more importantly you teach them the use of the system yeah. You teach them. You teach them some techniques and have them form some habits, and it, and they're simple little PQ exercises that they yeah. and practice that them. They that's might a big do a one. little PQ exercise and all. That's the big one. It, Most of my communicators will now be doing this under the camera. Oh yeah, and, and you wiggle your fingers. And illustrated it, and just show how it can slow us down. And it turns those saboteurs' volume down. Mm-hmm. And brings up the level of your confidence and your right brain. And it works. So the combination of the intellectual genius that you provide from your experience to of your knowledge of communication techniques and so forth to, to your clients, you also give them the tools, yeah, the habits. Yeah. To actually do it. Yeah. And it's so fun, Charlie, because right away they can plug it into the very next meeting. Oh, yeah. And okay, let's go on here a little bit. We could talk about this all day. I mean, you really got it, my friend. Now, tell me, tell me, uh, how do you use positive intelligence in your daily life? Well, I would say I listen to, I still listen to my app and I do my PQ reps throughout the day. One way positive intelligence mental fitness has really really helped me now that my practice has grown to the new level it's at is in my work day I do not work past 6 p.m at night this is unusual being on the show I'm normally finished by 6 p.m and I never work my weekends but my my work days Monday to Friday are very structured with appointments back to back with a two-hour block in the middle to break in those meetings where I've got 45 minutes and then a little bit of time to write the summary of the client I just finished with, and then only 10 minutes to the next one, I do PQ reps. Mm-hmm. So this ability to having this operating system to just be mindful and ground. And I do yoga with it sometimes. Sometimes I'm doing a yoga flow and just PQ repping while I'm doing it. I make it a moving PQ rep session, sometimes with the guided meditation, sometimes just knowing how to do it, just using visual PQ reps to really pay attention to what's in front of me. But that ability to use PQ reps um, to ground and recenter helps me be centered and calm and mega focused for the next one. So it's really empowered me to, to coach at a volume I didn't think I could could do or would want to do but actually I felt I feel energized after 10 sessions in a day wow. and I can 
And I can only explain, I, I have no idea how that's possible. I never thought that could be possible, but I think it's partly me doing mental fitness in between each session. Another way it, I use PQ reps, uh, sorry, uh, positive intelligence throughout my life is just in, in daily you know, conflict interactions with those I love. When there's disagreements, I try to find the gift and the opportunity. I try to find the commonalities. I've just been listening to Shazad's training on resolving conflict through mental fitness. Now that's a really great tool in these times. We're in the colder months of the Midwest as you are in Chicago. I'm here in Wisconsin. <laughs> These are the, if you're going to have a big fight with someone you love, it's in January <laughs> because it is very cold out or it has been. So mental fitness helps me resolve conflict more quickly and more harmoniously. I would say just overall this rising tide of peace and harmony from growing self-awareness, understanding when I'm triggered, navigating those moments when I can preempt that I'm triggered, going to get triggered and avoiding them or just navigating them so I can reduce the impact on me. Yeah. That's been really helpful. And just um, I often bring mental fitness into conversations, even with my 10-year-old son. I have two sons. Oh, sorry, my 12-year-old son. I have a 12-year-old and a 14-year-old son. Sometimes I'll bring them into conversations with my children just to help problem solve and see the gift. That's wonderful. And, you know, uh, we agree on the fact that uh, positive intelligence uh, isn't just some intellectual exercise that you go in and take a course and learn a few principles and then go away from. It's something that you have to develop as a habit. And you have to develop these mental muscles, these habits, these, this system, and you have to keep at it, just like an athlete has to keep in shape. And uh, that's very, very important. And it's easy to do. It's easy to do. I think, too, that I think one of the biggest takeaways for me with positive intelligence training is managing my stickler and my hyperachiever saboteurs. So I think the old me would get really wound up with needing everything to be perfect. The, uh, um, the more self-aware, and I'm nowhere near a master, but I'm definitely something I've managed daily almost. Just knowing when something is good enough, knowing when walking away when things aren't perfectly neat in my house, knowing that it's time to go to the, my remote office and continue my work from there. Just walking away, it's okay. I used to really wind up myself up trying to keep everything perfect. But now I've just managed that side of me. And same with my thought leadership pieces, just knowing that it's, um, if I don't get to it one week, it's okay. That's okay, Miss Debbie. You've had a full <laughs> week. Give myself a break. So that's been very helpful too, managing that hyperachiever. Yeah. Well, Debbie, you were one of the senior, one of the original and senior positive intelligence coaches, having gone through the earliest program and so forth. So what advice might you have for coaches who might consider positive intelligence as another tool in their coaching toolkit? Oh, I say go for it. It's a wonderful program. I, I got as much out of the positive, the mental fitness coaching and training as I did the business development. I feel hugely loyal to Coach Bill's training for us as coaches, all of the rich videos and the the Q&A sessions that you get to go to. I built my business really plugging in a lot of that wisdom. I set myself goals and 
some loose deadlines to achieve things. My podcast launch really tied to the business development training. I gave myself six months to get a podcast off the ground and said, I want to go to bed on December 31st and wake up January 1st with a podcast launch. And I kept to it. So it, it's everything from holding yourself accountable to building up your business. If you're doing what I did, which was start it from scratch, start from zero. It's the camaraderie of meeting coaches from all around the world. Just a wonderful array of interesting, bright, gifted people and all kinds of interesting coaching niches as well. And, and just the wonderful, excellent learning we get as becoming practitioners of mental fitness. It's just fantastic. Well, Debbie, you are an example of success. And, and I want to thank you for joining me because this has been so much fun, just as some of our previous podcasts together have been so much fun. And we learned a little bit about how positive intelligence coaching can be applied in communications in that particular niche. Now, Debbie, before we close, how can somebody contact you? Oh, thanks for asking, Charlie. So my probably my LinkedIn profile, which I'll make sure you have and you can add it to the show notes is the best way to reach me. Send, send me a message in the in LinkedIn message or follow me on LinkedIn and then we can connect that way. Or you can visit my website, hangingrockcoaching.com. There you'll find my Calendly link if you'd like to book me for a session or chat about group coaching or individual coaching. And that would be great. I love hangingrockcoaching.com. Great name. You can't forget it. And well, you can you can contact me if you want at charliejetcoaching.com or on this particular podcast called podcastpq.com or on another podcast that I have about critical skills. It's called it's all about skills.com. Now, I want to thank all of you for joining us. Uh, we will see you soon in our next podcast PQ episode when we'll discuss the practical application of positive intelligence in a little different area of interest. And this particular one will be the compatibility and relationship between positive intelligence and emotional intelligence. So we'll see you next time. Thank you very much. Thank you. Bye for now. Thank you.